Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 221 of the Motorcycle Man podcast and another wonderful interview for your listening pleasure. Hey, the Motorcycle Man podcast is brought to you by Tobacco Motorwear for the best in American-made Kevlar line selvage riding jeans, shirts, jackets, graphic tees, accessories. You go to Tobacco Motorwear at TobaccoMotorwear.com. There's a special link just for Motorcycle Men listeners who want to order from Tobacco Motorwear in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle Men website. Or you can call them at 747-666-5741 and you tell Dave and Andrew and the rest of the kids there that the Motorcycle Men sent you. And make sure you use that coupon code MOTOMEN when ordering. All right. Hey, Scorpion Helmets. For the last 15 years, Scorpion EXO has been dedicated to offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. Some of the world's best helmet and apparel designers spend countless hours developing and testing Scorpion EXO products to ensure that each and every Scorpion EXO helmet and garment will surpass user expectations. So you learn more, you go to scorpionusa.com. And Shinko Tires, whether you're riding a sport bike, scooter, off-road, dual sport, or cruiser, Shinko has a tire to suit your needs and riding style without breaking your bank account. So if it's time for tires for your bike, think Shinko. And you go to ShinkoTireUSA.com and you tell them that the Motorcycle Men sent you. The Motorcycle Men podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. If you would like to help and be a part of something that actually makes a difference in the lives that cancer affects, donate today to David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. Go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate. Links will be in the show notes and, of course, also on the website. And the Gold Star Ride Foundation, helping the families of fallen soldiers and making a difference in the lives of those left behind. If you'd like to be a part of a great cause and get some great heartfelt miles in, you go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. Now, so you're thinking of doing some long-distance riding events. You've looked into one or more of the many rallies that are out there. You've planned on doing your first Saddlesore 1000, or maybe you've done it already, and you're seeking something a little more challenging. You've heard of events like the Void Rally. You've heard of the 50cc. You've heard of the Four Corners Ride, and they are on your list, but there's something else, something bigger, something more challenging, something they may have your family considering you for some kind of therapy. Well, the Iron Butt Rally, 11 days, 11,000 miles, give or take. Well, who in their right mind would do this, you wonder? Well, a lot of people. It's an addiction. Riders from all over the world gather in various locations every two years to take part in what could be, next to the Tour de France, one of the most grueling events in the world. My guest tonight has ridden the Iron Butt Rally three times and is likely to ride it again and again. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men podcast. Here we are in the V-Twin Cafe, and joining me all the way from, you're, you're in, if I recall you correctly, you're in uh, Pennsylvania, right? Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. Willow uh, Grove, yes, that's, that's right, exactly. Um, is Chris Comley, and Chris 
is one of these long-distance riders who I interviewed once before to talk about his adventures on his Sportster. And we're going to continue the conversation, only this time it's a little bit different. Um, Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, Ted. Good. I'm so glad to have you here. So why don't you, I'll tell you what, for those people who uh, who don't know who you are and who not, did not hear the previous interview, why don't you tell us a little bit about your motorcycle self? Certainly. So I've been riding since around 1993-ish. I was, I don't know, 29 years old or so when I got my first bike, which was a uh, Suzuki GT750 little, excuse me, GT550 little three-cylinder uh, two-stroke bike. And rode it around for six, seven years and never really went anywhere other than just local stuff. Um, had some issues, mechanical issues, and I kind of stopped riding, you know, for five, six years. And then in 2006, uh, I ended up buying my, my 2006 Sportster. Um, you know, when I started riding, I had no idea I'd be doing the long-distance riding I'm doing today. You know, it was... I was reading one of the motorcycle magazines at the time. I, I don't remember what it was, Cycle World or something. I had a, gotten a subscription to it for some reason. And I'd read about these people that would do long r- rides. You know, they'd, they'd leave their house on a Saturday morning with no plan and end up doing, you know, 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles, and finding their way back home Sunday afternoon. I kind of looked at it I'm like, who would do that? You know, it was, yeah. what's wrong with that person? You know, there's just... There's something wrong with somebody that does that. Yeah, how do they have the time to do that? All, all that, all those good questions. Sure. Um, so, uh, as I said, I thought they were crazy. So I, I started, uh, you know, sharing an office with somebody who was a long distance rider, and he was doing all these things. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if if Tom can do this, why can't I? So I planned a little ride, and I think I feel what year it was. It was probably. You know, it was Memorial Day weekend of either 2007 or 2008, and I had my bike for a year or two. And uh, I, I rode down to West Virginia and, uh, and back from Philadelphia area, and I did everything wrong. I left bright and early at noon. I had, you know, one bar of battery left on my cell phone. Bright and early at noon. <laughs> bright and early at noon, you know, and, you know, and, you know, which was what, you know, just what I did back then. You know, I, yeah. I slept in. Uh, I stayed up till four in the morning playing uh, computer games and got up at noon. So, um, you know, uh, I, I, all I had with me was my leather jacket, which I was wearing, and probably some fingerless gloves. And like I said, this is Memorial Day weekend. So during the day, it's nice and warm. Usually not warm at night. Right. Um, I kind of realized when I'm on my way back home from West Virginia and I'm getting hungry. I'm realizing I haven't eaten dinner yet. And I thought, you know, if I stop now, you know, at around eight or seven o'clock for dinner, um, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm adding more, you know, riding time in the dark. Right. So I chose to wait till it got dark. Uh, I guess I hit Harrisburg at 9 p.m., uh, stopped at a McDonald's, got a, you know, cheeseburger or whatever. Yummy. Uh, and then rode home. And I guess I got home around midnight, 1 a.m., and I was freezing to death, you know. And I, my riding goes into the toilet when I get cold. So literally, I was going down the turnpike at 75 miles an hour. I'd come to a turn, I'd slow down to 50. Um, and that's how I got home. And I had fun. You know, I saw all kinds of cool stuff, and I learned a lot. And it's, 
you know, as a private pilot, we say we learn from the lessons that would don't kill us. Motorcycle riding is the same way. Oh you yeah, know, I learned. I, you know, if I leave before noon, I can go a lot further during the daytime. Yeah, you know, if I have a charged cell phone, I don't have to shut it off and you know, quick turn it on, check to see if we got a text from my wife, text from my wife, and shut it off again. And yeah. you know, it helps if you bring other clothes with you or something with you in case the weather changes. You know. Helps to look at the weather to know if it's going to rain because I actually had to. No, really? Do we do that? Storm. Is that yeah. necessary? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and again, that's embarrassing because I'm a pilot. I don't want to fly airplanes, but I don't, don't, still don't do it when I ride motorcycles. I don't know why. <laughs> but um, so that's kind of how I got into that. You know, that was my first long ride, and I guess at that point I was hooked. Uh, but I how, did my well, first, how, let, me, let me ask you this. How long was that first ride? That long 424 ride? miles. 424. So. That should have taken that. You, that should have taken you roughly about seven hours, right? Um, but I, I, like I said, you know, I, I hit rain on the way out. So I yeah. stopped at uh, what was it, Appalachian Harley Davidson? They actually had covered bike parking, so I stopped there for an hour and and I sightseed. I mean, I wasn't on interstates. I I, 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 I have always enjoyed riding back roads, and I when I was going south to, to West Virginia, I hopped off eighty one. I rode US eleven, which paralleled it. Yeah. So. That added a lot of time to it, um, but you know it was. Uh, I had fun. I, I again, like you said, I saw all kinds of cool and crazy stuff, and you know I saw some little roadside marker that I pulled over. I mean, it was a sign that was like, I don't know, a foot tall, and I read it, and here it was this little thing out, or right off of US thirty, where a you know a motorcycle cop had gotten shot and, and died in nineteen twenty five or something like that. And there's all these crazy things that, you know, I mean, I like seeing all these crazy things like that. Um, so I saw all kinds of cool stuff and uh, said I learned a lot about it. Um, you know, my, my first week-long road trip was in, uh, uh, I believe it was 2008-ish, uh, where a bunch of friends and I, there was four, five of us total, uh, rode down to, of all places, Key West. Oh, there you go. And we had a blast. And you did and, that on your you Sportster, know, right? I did everything on my sports turn. That, that is my bike. Uh, I have two other bikes, but my primary bike is my 06 Sportster, which today has 261,000 miles on it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, uh, so, 2008, you know, me and some friends, we rode down to, to Key West and back. Um, you know, the, the, the first day, you know, three of the guys left the day earlier. Me and another guy had to work, so we ended up leaving Saturday morning. And, you know, we, we got into... Uh, we spent the night in Savannah, Georgia, at his brother's house. Uh, you know, we rode eight, 800 miles the first day. So that was like, you know, okay, now I've just expanded drastically yeah. the range I've ridden. Um, and, and, again, I was hooked. You know, we had a blast on that trip. Um, you know, Key West was cool. As You know, you were just down in the Keys. To me, that is still the hardest ride in the world. Really? Because, yes, because the views are so incredible. I want to enjoy the views, and I forget that I'm riding a motorcycle. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I can get cro- that. You know, crossing Seven Mile Bridge. Yeah. You know, and the colors of the water, and, you know, the different hues of blue and green and, and all that. It just was, it blew me away. Oh, yeah. um, so, so that's what I mean by it's the hardest ride. I mean, the riding itself isn't difficult. It's just the fact that, you know, the scenery is Distractions incredible. is what it is. Yes. Um, you know, and then, you know... You know, in, in parallel to that, you know, the Ironbud Association, which is the group that certifies, uh, it's the primary group that certifies, you know, different types of rides, you know, the, 
Saddle Sore 1000, which is 1,000 miles in 24 right. days, up to, you know, you know, 10 tenths, which is 10,000 miles in 10 days. A friend of mine just did 40,000 miles in 40 days, you know, coast, coast to coast to coast in 100 hours. Um, you know, they're the prime You know, they used to have a magazine, and the back of the magazine had a calendar. And in this calendar, they would list rallies. And I saw them. I was intrigued about them. Um, wanted to do one, but I could never find one that fit my schedule. Um, and I didn't know anybody that was doing them, so I had no idea what was involved in yeah. them. Um, so I, I literally, I spent a couple years um, looking at them and saying, well, that would be cool. And somewhere along the lines, I had heard about the Iron Butt Rally, um, you know, and, and, you know and, and other rallies. And, you know, it, it took me a couple of years before I actually um, actually did my first rally. Wow. But, uh, you know, and it just, it just exploded from there, yeah. for lack of a better term. Well, speaking of the rallies, you recently completed uh, the Iron Butt Rally, which is yeah. the 11,000, 11 days, 11,000 miles. And so for those who don't know what it is, can you tell us really about what it is? It's, I mean, I just briefly just gave you a little snippet of what it's about, but just to tell us what it's about. Well, well, first, let me explain what a rally is, because, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the, the various motorcycle events, you know, Sturgis, Laconia, uh, you know, the, the American, you know, they, they are sometimes called rallies. Yes. Um, they're, I'll, I'll, I'll say they're, they're gathering, you know, for the purpose of this, they're gatherings. They're just places where people go and, and have fun. A rally in the format that I'm discussing it is basically... It's a scavenger hunt, so oh, okay. they can be a they can be a few hours, um, you know, eight hours long. Um, we we call them a day long rally, but a day long is usually thirty two to thirty six hours. Um, you know, there's the butt light, which is six days long, and then the iron butt rally, which is eleven days long. But basically, it's a scavenger hunt. The idea is to, you know, collect points and get to a location by a certain time. Right. Uh, the way we get points is, you know, we'll get a list, you know, we'll get what's referred to as a rally book, which is nothing more than a listing of, of bonus locations, um, some, you know, a description of that location, the location of it, where, where to go to actually find it. We may or may not have a photograph of what it's supposed to look like. Um, and then there's, there, might, there, might, there may be a time restriction or a date restriction, so daylight only, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., nighttime only, um, and then there will be a point value of signs. Oh, so, they, so not only do they, as far as it goes for these things that you have to get, not only do they tell you what you have to get, but they also dictate what time of day you have to get it? Yes. Wow. So, so for example, during the Iron Butt Rally, we've got, uh, there's usually two, there's usually three photo bonuses. So, you need to be at that bonus to have your picture taken with the group at 11 a.m. on whatever date that bonus is. And that's it. And oh. if you're, you know, and, and reading comprehension is key. <laughs> so um, if you misread it, the rally book, and you show up on the wrong day and there's nobody there, um, you know, you, you're not going to get the points. And I have a very good friend of mine that did just that. And, 2000, uh, I think it was 2007, 15 or 17, I forget what year he did that. Um, but I, I'll be nice, I won't say Marty's name, whoops. <laughs> um, 
But uh, so yeah, so you know, you, the, some of them are specific dates and times. Uh, one rally I did, the, the Butt Light I did in, in 2014. You know, we had to be at uh, there was a statue called the Keeper of the Plains in Wichita, Kansas. That, I mean, the statue—I don't know—was 30, 40, 50 feet tall. It was huge. Uh, and every night between 9 p.m. and 9:15 p.m., uh, they actually had a firing around on the bottom of it that they lit on fire. And if we got a picture with the flames going, the bonus was worth say a thousand points. But if the flames weren't there, it was only 200. Oh. So we were all going, aiming to get there. We had a 15-minute window, and this is from a rally that started in Minneapolis. Oh. You know, 6 a.m. that morning. Wow. So. Yeah, so the Iron so Butt yeah, Rally. So so the Iron Butt Rally uh, is not just doing eleven thousand miles in eleven days. It's also the little things in between that you have to do to get these bonus points. Yes. Along the way. Wow. Yeah. So the, so, yeah, now, so, so, the well, the most important question I have to ask you is like, what, 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 the, what did you do? Let me rephrase that. What bike did you do the rally on? I did this rally in the past two on my 2006 Harley Davidson Sportster. Nice. How did it perform? This year it ran great. Oh, I mean, um, oh, you say this year it ran great. Does that mean like last year it didn't? Well, in 2017, 2017 was a bad year for my, for my motorcycle. So, in uh, let's see, it was April 8th of 2017. Um, I went to go ride with, you know, meet up with some of my friends from the, the local hob, cha- hob chapter. Um, and I decided, you know what? I don't feel like riding today. Let me do some work. So I, I wanted to do preventive maintenance on my bike. I wanted to basically replace the, you know, primary chain and sprocket. Right. So I pulled it in my, pulled it up on my lift, pulled the, uh, pulled the primary apart. And when I did so, the main shaft bearing for my transmission, uh, basically all the ball bearings were in the bottom half of the bearings. Ouch. So, which could be a problem. You know, that's one of those things. If it fails, it could be catastrophic, and the wheel stops, and you know, usually not a good outcome. So, I realized that okay, I've got a problem. The, the bearing had to be pressed out from the inside. Yeah. And even though I had access to a machine shop, I could have made a puller to pull it. My first thought was, a, where's the rest of the bearing, and b. If that bearing is bad, what do the rest of them look like? Right. So I pulled the engine out, put the cases, tore it, you know, tore it all down. I replaced every single bearing. You know, I, you know, I called my buddy uh, Harry, who's a parts manager at one of the local Harley dealers, and said, "You know, Harry, I need every single ba- every single bearing in the transmission of a 2006 Sportster." Um, and he's like, "Okay." You know, and I'm, I'm assuming he gave it to you know whoever he was mad at that day because looking up every part couldn't have been fun um, because there's no kits for that. You know. Yeah. So uh, so I basically did all that work, put the bike back, put the engine back together. I had it running four or five five weeks later on uh, Mother's Day weekend. Took it for a ride, and I thought it sounded a little loud, but I, I rationalized it that I hadn't heard the bike run for a while. I'm inside. You know, all sportsters have noisy top ends. And I made it about three miles from my house and the engine quit. Um, and basically what had happened is, you know, I had a, there was a piece of cardboard from uh, an oil bottle. You know, I used to reuse my oil bottles, the older oil bottles. Yeah. Actually had a cardboard, cardboard seal in the cap. Yeah. Well, I had used that so many times 
that it got saturated and that seal must have stuck to the top of the bottle. I didn't see it and I dumped it in the oil tank oh. and it blocked the oil flow. So I, here I am, Mother's Day weekend with no engine in my motor, no no running engine in my motorcycle. It was destroyed. I mean, it literally Did I mean, it, the, it the piston broke in half. Oh, really? The piston, the front piston broke in half. Oh my God. And there was a hole in the, in the top of it from where the, you know, after a broken half, the valve came down and beat it to death. Uh, I had a couple bed push rods. And I mean, the engine was just destroyed. So here I am, Mother's Day weekend. I had to leave for the rally on June 25th. So I'm looking at five, six weeks, and I don't have a bike. So, you know, I, I, I basically, you know, I fortunately my, my mechanic was gracious enough to come rescue me on Mother's Day. Because uh, I had no way of getting a bike, even though it was only three miles from my home, I had to go uphill to get there. Oh yeah, wow! You're not pushing a sportster uphill. No, not three miles. No. So um, I basically had some thinking to do, and you know, a, fr- a good friend of mine had helped me when I tore the engine apart to rebuild the transmission. Uh, he had told me that I could use his sportster wow. for the rally if there was a problem with mine. So I kept that in the back of my mind. You know, and of course, I put this, this whole thing was laid out on Facebook. You know, we didn't know each other back then, but this whole thing was laid out on Facebook. So everybody knew it. Um, I had, within 24 hours of putting out there that I blew up my engine, five unsolicited offers for motorcycles to ride to the Ironboat Rally. Wow, really? And they ranged from two road glides, uh, a Honda NC 700 something, X, whatever it is, um, a concourse. And a Honda ST1300. And that's unsolicited. That's had nice. Said, had I said, hey guys, I'm riding the Iron Butt Rally in a month, but I need a bike, I, I would have, I could have had my pick. Uh, I mean, the, the long distance community is unbelievable. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I mean, we will offer our motorcycle up to somebody that we don't, we've never even met. We don't even know of them. Um, and that's just what everybody does that. Um, it's just incredible. That happened. Five times during this last Iron Butt Rally. With other oh, that's riders. awesome. See, um, motorcycle so, people are great people. Oh, they are. And and I'll say long-distance riding community, because we all know each other, or if we don't know each other, we know somebody that knows somebody. Um, again, they, they will bend over backwards to help anybody. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so I, I sat there, and I thought, like, you know, how am I going to do this? I kind of decided I'm going to use my friend Sporster because it's the same bike. Yeah. And... I, I called the rally master, you know, uh, Lisa, and I said, hey, I've got a problem. My bike blew up, which she probably knew because we're Facebook friends. And I'm going to be riding a friend of mine. What do I need to do? And she basically laid it out to me. She said, you know, um, we've got a form for that. And, uh, you know, basically I'd have to get my friend to increase his insurance levels if I wasn't already there and, you know, do some other things. But she said, the problem is you may, if, if you end up going into Canada, you may have difficulty because if the bike's not in your name, they may not let you in. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. So I didn't even think of that. So after that, I thought about it. And just to show how great my, you know, uh, I, I, I just, I, you know, I had a friend of mine that offered me to, uh, to basically, you know, front me an engine um, that really? they found on eBay. So I wasn't going to do that because I didn't want to owe somebody money because I didn't have the money to pay for it. Yeah. And I, and I didn't have time to rebuild mine because you know, because it's just, you know, there's six weeks. There's no way I can rebuild an engine and get the break-in miles in. So uh, I rethought it, and we you know, went back to my friend and said, yeah, okay, let's, 
you know, here's the conditions that I'll accept this engine. Um, and we basically, I had the engine the following weekend. And by Memorial Day weekend, I was riding my bike in a rally. Wow. Um, so, so that was what it took me just to get to the, the rally. You know, I'll bite my tongue in the expletive there. Um, during the, the 17 rally, now I had replaced everything in that engine, um, including the stator. At the time, I was running a cycloelectric 38 amp three phase charging system in the bike because I've got extra lights, heated gear. And sure. So and the 06 Sportsters were below early were carbureted. They only had a 22 amp charging system where the fuel ejector bikes went up to 30. So I literally, I was third leg of the rally, first day of the third leg. I'm in the middle of absolute nowhere in Arizona on I 40. I looked down and my low voltage light was on. <laughs> so I basically got the bike in the flagstaff. Yeah, called my you know, I, I, I the Harley dealer happened to be closed on Mondays, of course, and that was that was on July third. They were obviously closed on July fourth, so I ended up and at that point, you know, I was like, I'm done with the rally. I'm more worried about how am I going to get home because it's two thousand miles to get home. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so I, I ended up, um, you know, I, I I called, you know, the GM for the local Harley dealer who I know, and I asked him to see if he could help me get a hold of the owner for the, the flagstaff Harley dealer. Um, and then I called my buddy, uh, Harry, again, who's a uh, the parts manager. I basically asked him to, uh, I think, actually, I spoke to his son, who also works, and I said, I need to know where every stator and regulator are in, in the United States. And I got a call back from Harry saying, what? You know? Yeah. And I basically told him what the deal is. And he's like, well, you're in luck. The flagstaff, you know, he had my spot, like, so he knew right where I was. He's like, you're in luck. The flagstaff Harley Davidson dealership across the street from you has both of them. I said, "Yeah," and they're closed. Wow. So he had me track, helped me track down the parts. We ended up finding the stator, but not the regulator. Because uh, what I, the system I had in the bike, they were not off-the-shelf parts. Okay. You had to order them, and I this is ordering that wasn't possible with the fact when I'm two thousand miles from home. Um, so I, I ended up um, with bought a big big car battery, got the bike down to uh, Phoenix where a friend of mine lives. He picked up the stator for me. We stole it. We scavenged the regulator off of his bike because he had a Sportster at the time. And I basically spent the entire night rebuilding the charging system on my bike. Wow. So you actually, so you were actually able to build it up to where you needed it to be. Yes. Wow. So I basically pulled the whole primary out, pulled the stator out, which is basically a coil of wire yeah. um, around a, a metal frame. A brand new one in it, uh, put it back together, and then, um, you know, put the regu- regulator is easy. It's just two bolts and unplug it. Um, and, and, you know, so I literally, I was off the road for exactly 24 hours. Jeez. And then um, you went and continued the route. So you must have been exhausted. Yes. I was. <laughs> <laughs> now, did that's, you, that's that, normal. well, that was 2017. Did you finish the entire rally? Yeah, 2017, I finished the entire rally, and I came in... 31st, 32nd, 33rd. And how how many miles did you do? In that rally, I did over 9,000. 9,000 miles. And was was that in 11 days? Well, that was 10 days of riding, one day of working. Right, okay. Wow. Now, in 2018, you you did the whole rally as well. Well, no, the the rally's only every other year. Oh, it's every other year. So, so how how many times have you done the rally? Three times. Three times. All right, what, 15, what, 17, and 19. Oh, okay. What was different about this one? 
than is different from the other ones? Um, well, my, my first reaction was somebody else is like, oh my God, they tried to kill us. <laughs> um, but there were a couple of differences. So each rally has a fee. Okay. So 15, it was national parks. And we had to do what's called a national parks tour, which is 50 parks and 25 seats. You know, normally you've got a year to do it. For the rally, we had 11 days. Um, <laughs> 17, it was North American safari. So there was all kinds of animal statues all over North America. So the Ironbutt Rally is a North American scavenger hunt. All of Canada and U.S. are in play. Right. Or a good portion of Canada and U.S. Um, so it was a scavenger hunt. And there was different categories of animals. There was five categories of animals. And, mm-hmm. you know, we got extra points if we picked them up in certain orders. You know, first leg it was, I think, all three the same or all three different. might have been all three different. Second leg, it was like four of the same. You know, and then the third leg was, uh, I think, well, full out. Three of one type and two of another. And when you did that, the last one was doubled in the first leg, tripled in the second leg, and quadrupled the fourth leg. <laughs> so you, if you planned it right, you had a high point bonus as your when it's multiplied, you can get a lot of points. Yeah. So that was that was seventeen. Um, Nineteen. The theme was the road less traveled, and basically we were going to locations. A lot of them were. You know, okay, so like I, I ended up riding the dry, dry, tail of the dragon during the Ironbutt Rally. I never thought I'd ride the ride the dragon in a fully loaded rally bike, which is probably 100 pounds heavier than a normal bike. Yeah. Uh, or maybe not 100, maybe 50. Uh, but I rode the dragon. I thought that was bad until I saw some of the roads later on in the rally. Um, but, you know, there was people went out to you know, Mont- Montauk Lighthouse in the first leg. Um, in the first leg, I basically went you know, we started in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I rode to, uh, like I said, I did the drag, you know, through North Carolina, um, up to Yellowstone, up into northern Montana. I was probably 10 miles from the Canadian border, um, into Colorado, all these other places. Uh, but each one of these, you know, I mean, they, they, we were on small roads. We were not on interstates. You know, out of the 9,200 miles I rode, if 7,000 or 7,500 miles were probably non-interstate roads. Really? So that made a, that made a huge difference. Sure. Uh, and, you know, it's just incredible. And they, they, the other twist was for us. So the way that, like, so the, the rally book is, you know, they give you a location, something to do, which is almost always take a picture. Once in a while, it's take a picture and buy something, you know, get a poker chip, get a receipt, something like that. Right. Uh, a pressed penny. So this year, what they did to us was, you know, one of the things we get is a an Excel spreadsheet and a couple other files with the locations of the bonuses. And we import that as a new mapping program, and that's how we build our route. Oh, okay. Everybody rides a different, completely different route. Yeah. Um, but it's all personal, honest, right? It's, it's, that's a personal choice which way you want to go, right? Yeah. Oh, so okay. first leg, we had 70 locations to go to. You um, have to go to seventy. No, oh. you that that you you choose from seventy possible locations. Keep in mind, we started in Spartanburg, South Carolina. The checkpoint was in Kenwick, Washington, so diagonally across the United States. So now, when was I the checkpoint? Was the checkpoint within how many days? Two and a half. So two and a half days, you had to go from Spartanburg, South Carolina, to Washington. Yes. Wow. And. 
And, you know, so like you said, there were 70 bonuses. I probably stopped at eight, maybe. Um, wow. Some people, some people left South Carolina, and the way they, you know, you know, there was a bonus, and I think it was Y, Arizona, um, the town of Y, W-H-Y. Uh, that was their first stop, was Y, Arizona. They rode a day, a day, full day or a day and a half before they ever picked up the first place. That was just the route that they picked. Man, everybody does it different, um, right? Exactly. Uh, you, you might, you know, some people are riding as, as I'll say, teams. You know, you know there's a, a father, daughter, there's a husband and wife that ride together. But they're each scored separately, and they're right, you know, they happen to be riding the same route, um, but still scored separately. Um, so this one, like I said, we were on all these small back roads that we weren't on. We didn't have that in, in prior rallies, not to this extent. And the, the other thing they did to us, and I'll, I'll, I actually dug out my rally book to, to read this. So the other thing they did to us is the location GPS coordinates that were in the file they gave us were not the same as the actual rally book. Um, oh, that's bad. You know, so, so for example, I'll read the um, there was one you know Tell, which is in Telluride, Colorado. You know, and you know the bonus, you know, there's an identifier. You know, there's a location for it, which is what was in the file we got, and then you know it's available for 24 hours. And the instructions in the rally book are basically. From the coordinates given, ride north on Colorado 145 for 70 point out 70.8 miles. At the traffic circle, take the first exit of the Colorado 145 south for 2.9 miles. At the traffic circle, continue on this uh, West Colorado Avenue for half a mile. The goose is at, and then they give the actual location of it. Right. So, you know, you build your plan based upon the file, but if you don't read the rally book before you leave. You're going to open up the rally book to see what you need to do and find out that you're 70 miles away from your location. Oh, my God. They, they haven't done that, at least not in the rallies I've done. Um, then another one, and I actually sent you a picture of this, so it was, was Windy. It's, you know, Windy Ridge, which was basically it's an overlook from Mount St. Helens in, uh, in Washington. And it's, you know, ride south on Washington 131 for 2.7 miles, continue south on National... Forest Road 25 for 17 miles, right on National Forest Road 99 for 16 miles, the Whitney Ridge parking area. You know, you know, from the location, uh, walk up the stairs and take a picture of, of you know, the sign. Well, the stairs we had to walk up, you know, I think there was probably about 400 of them. Oh, my and God. And they were, they were six by sixes cut into the side of the mountain, the hill. And I think I looked up the elevation gain and it was like three or 400 feet. <laughs> um, that's not, wasn't in the rally book. That was, you get there and you look up and you just, all you see is stairs. Yeah, and I'm like, so I hear oh, you are exhausted God. from riding. And now yeah. you got to climb this. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, again, you know, it's like, you know, th that one they didn't tell us about. I mean, there was another one where in, in, I was up in British Columbia. And, you know, from the parking area, it was a four-kilometer walk. Oh, my God. To get to this sign, to take a picture of this sign next to a river. Because it was, uh, uh, I, I forget what, it was something about the rapids. And there was some sign there talking about invertebrates that grew in the river or something like that. Oh, my God. You know, four kilometers each way. Oh, my um, God, that's crazy. Yeah, now, does so, the rally start in the same location every year? No, it moves around. Oh, really? So the 2015, the start and finish of the rally were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
Oh, well, that's uh, nice. we we had two checkpoints. One was in Albuquerque. One was in um, ten, Eastern Tennessee, uh, Kingsport, I think it was Tennessee. 2017, the start and end was in Minneapolis. You know, we had both checkpoints were down in the Dallas area, Dallas, Texas. This wow. year, start was in uh, South Carolina. The checkpoints were in um, Kennewick, Washington, finished back in South Carolina. Wow. However, another change they made this year was, and they haven't, they, they've done this in the past, they, they haven't done it for a number of years, was returning back to Kennewick for the second, second quote-unquote checkpoint was optional. So if you met certain conditions, which were claim a bonus north of 60 degrees latitude, which is basically, you know, up in Alaska, um, or if you claimed there was a photo bonus on the Pacific Coast Highway, and which meant you had to be there at a specific date and time, and a bonus, which is on the Gaspé Peninsula in Quebec, um, if you got those, successfully claimed those two, you could skip the, the coming back to Canada. Wow. Um, yeah, so it, it wasn't easy um, to, to, if you wanted to skip it. And the other part was, it was worth a lot of points. So, oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, talk, let's riders, talk about uh, let's yeah. talk about getting uh, getting prepared and, and this, the beginning of everything when you're first starting out. How do you prepare for an Iron Butt Rally? <laughs> you ride your ass off. <laughs> 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 so, um, so I'll, I'll go back. Yeah, you know, the answer. I'll, I'll go back to kind of what I did and what I think you know most people would do. So I first heard about the rally. I, I don't remember what year I heard about the rally. Um, 2007, you know, but I had, you know, I, I picked the, I put the ra- riders of the rally on this pedestal that they're these, you know, godlike creatures that I'll never hope to be like one of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally, I was, I was in the, uh, the Ironwood Association has a banquet in Jacksonville, Florida every, every March okay. that coincides with the Eternal Bike Week. So I was down there for the, I think the second time in 2013 and they're talking about the rally and had everybody who was in the rally raised her hand and a friend of mine that was sitting at the table with me raised his hand i'm like oh you're you're in the rally and he's like yeah and my friend he, he goes by the name hammy he, he's a wonderful person the nicest person in the world one of the best friends you could ever have but and, and he is special in his own way but like there's nothing really riding special about him. i mean he's just another guy and and i met some of the other riders and they were just normal everyday people and i started thinking you know there's no reason why I can't do this. So there's a, there's two DVDs that they did. Uh, they did a DVD on the 2009 and 2011 rally. Uh, I think it was 9-11 or might have been 7, 2007. It was 2007-2009. Hard Miles and Hard Miles 2. So I got a hold of those DVDs. I watched it. And I'm like, I'm in. I've, I've got to find a way <laughs> to do this. So, I mean, I'm one of those people. I'm someone that likes to do things that most people don't do. And go places where most people don't go. Right. So when they you know, they said you know in, the, in part of the, the DVD that you know more people had flown in space than completed the Armbar Rally, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> so um, so give you an idea. My I, we get a number when we complete the rally, a three digit number. Okay. I'm number five thirty four. So the rally started in 1980, I think one. All right. Yeah, it's been, it's been going on. It was every year for the first couple of years. They took a couple of year gap, and then from like ninety one on, it's been every other year. Um, I was the, I'm the five hundred thirty fourth person that's finished it. 
This wow. year they they broke, they're in the 600s. So there's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of us. Yeah, we all know each other. Just about. So, uh, and, you know, getting back to your your your, your question, yeah. You know, so what? I, you know, once I decided that that was the rallies for me, I was like, okay, I need to be able to prove to myself and others that I could actually do this. Um, yeah. To that point, I had done one fun burner, which is 1,500 miles in 36 hours, and I had done, uh, you know, two saddle sores, you know, 1,000 miles in, uh, in, in 24 hours. Right. Uh, and that was it. So I didn't know if I could do multiple 1,000-mile uh, multiple mile days back-to-back. So what, what do I need to do to prove that to myself and others so they'll actually pick me? So um, I... I I developed a plan, which was basically, like I said, start riding my ass off. Um, I decided that uh, I, you know, I, um, I would do the uh, hundred CCC, which is coast to coast to coast, to hundred miles, hundred hours rather. So it's basically almost everybody does it from Jacksonville to San Diego because it's twenty three, twenty four hundred miles from there. Versus if you went, you know, New York to San Francisco, it's three thousand. Right, I see. So, okay. I, I, I spent one day riding down to Jacksonville, which is, you know, well, you just did the ride, yeah. you know, 950, 950 miles or so. Yeah. The next day, I, I left and headed to Jacksonville. I got there in two days, turned around and came back. Um, so basically, I done, you know, five days. You know, I had done 5,000 miles. <laughs> so, and I thought, okay, I can do this. So the next thing I did was I signed up for the Butt Light Rally, which was in 2014, which was a, a basically a six-day version of the Iron Butt Rally. Right. So that started and ended in Minneapolis with a checkpoint in Austin, Texas, and I covered 5,700 miles in six days. Oh, wow. And during during that rally, I learned, and I actually had a flat tire to replace the tire during that rally because of a, right. well, I had an issue on the way out, and then I had to replace a tire due to a, a, a worn-out tire. But, um, you know, from there, you know, I, I learned a couple of things. One, I learned I could do it. I learned that there's a big difference between pointing your bike west, sitting on it and cranking the throttle and holding it there for two days and turning around and going back versus, okay, I'm riding. I've got all these bonus locations I'm going to. I need to monitor my progress and my ahead of schedule, my behind schedule. And I add a bonus and I subtract the bonus. And just the mental work required for a rally compared to just a normal ride. Yeah. You know, it just didn't compare. I can um, imagine, my God. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, um, it was just incredible. And the, the, I, I learned a hard lesson on getting myself dehydrated because I was so focused on the rally and focused on managing my time that even though I had a bottle of water sitting there right on my handlebars, I never took a drink. And I didn't even know I was dehydrated until I got off the bike in, uh, I was on, uh, in Oklahoma in a bonus and I almost fell flat on my face because I just didn't, I just, I was that badly dehydrated. Wow. I, you know, I, Did you ever consider using a camelback? Um, well, up until that point, no. And okay. I, I wouldn't use a camelback anyway. I don't like the weight on my back. Yeah. So I've heard um, some people say that too. Yeah. So, so what I do now, I actually have a, a one-gallon water jug that I mount on my bike. Um, really? So I've one got gallon? A, I have a gallon. Yeah. See, the thing um, is now, here, I mean, here interesting t- thing. Now, I just did this ride down to the Keys, and I wish I, 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 wish I brought my camel, because I was hem- hemming and hawing over that. Should I use the camel bike? Should I use it? And I was just like, no, I'll just put the water bottle on the handlebars. And you know, I very rarely touched it. 
But I know mm-hmm. that if I had my Camelback, I would have been drinking out of that thing quite a bit. I probably yeah. would have been making more stops, too. Oh, yeah. You would have. Oh, yeah. Which I learned that lesson the hard way, too, but not during a rally. Um, yeah, but uh, so I, I learned a ton on that. But, you know, I came out of that. And the other thing I learned about that, so there's a thing called the wall that we all talk about. It, it's equivalent to some of the sporty events that, you know, you just get to a point where your body, you know, your, your mind just says, that's it, I'm done. I don't want to go any further. Yep. And I, know, I, you know, I, know. I, I hit that. I hit that during the butt light, so I was, you know, my, my last leg, that was two, uh, two legs in that rally, but my last leg, I went from Austin, Texas to basically Steubenville, Ohio, and Eastern PA, uh, and then back to Minneapolis, and I spent the night in Steubenville, Ohio. I'm 300 miles from home, and I'm sitting, you know, I, I packed the bike up in the morning to go, and I, you know, and, and keep in mind, you know, like, I had been leaving, bef- you know, when I stayed in the hotel long before breakfast was served. So this one I had slept in a little bit because I just needed to sleep. And, you know, I had a 1,200-mile ride ahead of me. And I walked by, and they actually, their, their breakfast was in a restaurant that was attached to the hotel, and I could just smell the bacon. I could smell the <laughs> coffee. It was, it was that good restaurant coffee, you know. Yeah. You know, not, not the other stuff. So it just sucked me in. And I ended up sitting there eating breakfast, drinking coffee for 45 minutes, thinking, you know, I've, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. I know I can do the ride. I've learned a lot. You know, I, I can take what I did here to improve my chances of finishing the Ironbutt Rally. You know, I could just go home because I'm only 300 miles from home. Yeah. But I'm, tw- I'm 1,200 miles, according to my route, to Minneapolis. Yeah. And then I had the revelation that, you know, this is tomorrow is my 16th wedding anniversary. And my wife is in Minneapolis expecting to meet me there. (laughs) So if I went home and called her that I'm home, yes, um, it would not be pretty. Yeah. So and then I kind of realized, you know, the quicker I get off my butt, um, the quicker I get done. Yeah. So I got up in it. And and, and that was my experience with the wall. And and I learned, okay, you know, know, your mind can play funny tricks on you. Oh, yeah. And it's just. It's getting that willpower to say, you know what? No, I'm doing this. I can. I am okay. I can do this. Yeah. And, and that's that's what I did. Well, so. when, when do you start preparing for the rally? So, with, with what I did for the first rally, um, like I said, I, I I did all that, and what I was doing besides proving to myself, I was basically building my riding stamina. That's so getting important. to the point where I get to sit on the bike yeah. for, for that long. I mean, my limit is on normal days or, or during a rally. You know, I can do 20 hours comfortably and stop for four or five. Uh, and I can do that as long as I want. Um, my limit for actually being able to function is about 24, 25 hours. And then I need 68 hours down time to yeah. recover. Um, so I, I've learned that of myself Okay. Um, over the time. So, and, and that really hasn't changed much. I, actually, I might have pushed that limit a little bit further just because of experience uh, and knowing when to stop and take a nap and all that and how long of a nap I could take. So my first year, like I said, I, I, I rode my butt off. I did 40,000 miles on my bike um, in preparation for the uh, 2059 butt rally. Wow. Um, yes. I mean, that's how much I did. Now, for 2017, with all the bike issues, I did hardly any riding for the four, six months before the rally. Right. Um, for 2019... You know, I had a lo- I had some uh, family issues that I basically had to take care of. You know, I, you know, my father had retired, and we were my brother and I were helping to 
sell the contents of this machine shop and then sell the building. So every single weekend, one if not both days, for nine months leading up to the rally, I was in the shop. I was not riding. I took a couple of weekends off and rode. But I really did not prepare myself for 19, and I paid for it big time. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, I, I, I'll steal a phrase from a, a friend of mine. You know, she's, she's been interviewed a couple other podcasts, and, you know, she basically commented that, you know, you shouldn't, you know, have a take a laissez-faire attitude when you're doing things. Well, you should not go into the Iron Butt Rally with laissez-faire attitude, which is exactly what I did. You know, I've done this before. It's not a problem. And it was like getting hit in the back of the head with a two-by-four, you know, after that, the second day this year. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, I recovered. I completely fell apart in the second leg, but then I recovered. And, you know, I, I ended up finishing like fairly decently. You know, I'm pleased with my finish. But um, ideally, if, if you're already in that, if you're not in that condition to do those rides, um, it probably takes two years to build up to the point where you can do those back, to, you know, do those rides. Wow. Um, you know, your, your trip down to the key. I would do that. And a relaxed pace, I would do that in two days. I, I might actually, what I might do is I might. Now, when you say when you would do it, when you say you would do it in two days, does that mean you would go down in one day and then back in another day? Well, what, no. What, what I meant is, like, I might leave Friday night after work, ride a couple hundred miles, get a hotel room, get up in the morning, and then be in the keys that night. So it's not even two days, and I would think nothing of it. Right. You know, I'm not going to stop and see stuff when I do that. Yeah. You know, and I'll do that when I'm trying to get there, get somewhere quickly. Yeah. And like you said, with the armor rate, I did not prep for it this year or late, or or seventeen, and I was able to do nine thousand miles in, in, in eleven days, uh, or ten days in seventeen. Um, so, and, and I think most of the long distance riders that have done the rally, yeah, can get away with that. Now you pay a penalty because you're not going to be at the top of your game. I sure wasn't, and you're going to make dumb mistakes, which I made incredibly stupid mistakes in this rally. That I believe me, I went back. But you know, for the average person that wants to do it. Planning two to three years of, of doing, you know, longer and longer rides so you can comfortably do a thousand miles in a day and then comfortably do multiple 1,000 miles days back to back. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're, tra- you're getting your bike set up. Yeah. You know, you need to, you need to make sure that there's no hot spots in your seat so you're not going to have a, you know, a burning sore in your butt after yeah. a couple hundred miles. Well, well speaking of seats, what, what kind of saddle do you have on your sports? I have a Mustang uh, with a vintage, I think, or wide vintage. Okay. Uh, I think is what it's called with a backrest. Okay. Well, how does that compare to the Sundowner seat? Um, okay. So the Sundowner seat is like sitting on a wad of cotton, and the, the, the Mustang is like sitting on, you know, well, I, w- I don't want to say a board, but a board with padding on it. <laughs> and you actually want a, you actually typically want a firmer seat. If you look at the bicycle racers, oh really? If you look at a bicycle racer, what kind of seat do they have? Oh yeah, they're very. I do know. they have a comfy seat? No, I, I I know that because that's the kind of seat that I have. It's not it's not it's not a comfortable seat. Right, right. Mm. But it, it is if you're if you get used to it. And basically, yeah. what it does, if you've got a soft seat that that you sink into. Yeah. You know, it could it could fold and create hot spots. Sure. And stuff. Well, that's why with the gel saddles, for example, you don't want a gel saddle because it will create nothing but hot spots, and you'll feel it. And and gel actually retains heat. So if yes. you're riding in the summer hot climate, it'll get hot on you. Wow. Um, now most of us are riding wearing riding gear, so we don't feel it. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, we typically don't. You know, typically, I mean, my, I've got my soft gel's got a gel seat in it, but my two sportsters both have Mustangs. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So now, okay, now tell us about the requirements to participate in the Iron Butt Rally. 
What happens when you finally sign, when you do sign up? So what happens is in early January, you will get an email or notices put out on a couple of different locations um, that if you want to apply for the armbar rally, you know, do it by this certain date. The, right. the start and end are in this location. And you look at it, you have to decide, do I want to go or not? So you send in your application and you have six, eight weeks before you hear. And then you'll get an email and it'll either say congratulations or I'm sorry, but you haven't been picked. Uh, I don't know which one of the two is better yet, but uh, I've gotten the congratulations one, three times and I've been happy with it. But anyway, so that's what happened. How, what the criteria are, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, they, they have to, they, I don't know that there's really any hard, fast criteria. You know, meaning, you know, there's not a checklist of things to do when you'll get in. Right. Um, you know, there, there's the Ironbirds Association has a, has a premier membership. You know, you get certain perks, and one of them is, you know, an extra draw for the Ironbirds Rally. So they'll have a, a drawing for the premier members. You know, then they'll throw the rest of the names in in a drawing for everybody. Okay. So, you know, you know, you know basically they, they will pick your name. Um, I, I would think that, you know, I mean, they, they obviously can't know everybody, so it's, it's not by recognizing names. It's, it's basically, you know, they're going to pick you. you know, we fill out a writing resume right. um, as part of the application, but my understanding is that's more just to collect statistics, okay. and it's not part of the selection process. Now, if they got one that basically says, you know, it's blank, and they don't know the person, were they still going to pick? I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 I haven't seen that. But really... You know, the, the requirements for rally is basically that you have to get selected. Okay. So it's kind of like a lottery thing. Exactly. And then the other way to get in is there are several rallies where you know, the winner of the rally will get what they call a no-draw you know, entry. So if you win, you know, the Mason-Dixon 2020 rally, which is, you know, and, and actually this, year's, this uh, 2020 is the last year, but if you win that, um, you get an entry into it. Um, okay. You still have to pay for it, but you get an entry. Um, but like, which this year will be the last, uh, 2020 is the last year. I think the top 10 finishers get in. Okay. Yeah, there's a few other rallies where you'll, you'll get in. Um, so that's the other way in is you don't get picked. It's win a rally. And basically it's, you know, if you're good enough to win those rallies, you know, they feel that, okay, you, des- you deserve a chance. Right. You know, to basically play with the rest. But if you've never done any kind of rally like this before, they can discount you right away. I don't know if they will or not. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, there's people I know that were in the IBR that were extremely proficient, you know, long distance riders, but they'd only done one or two rallies. Okay. And you know, and then there's others that you know had done a few rallies and had only you know only have a few certificate rides. So you know, again, you know, it's you know they'll, they'll pick people. Now, I, I think just by the nature of it, you know, if, if you, you know the, the part of it is the entry fees pretty steep it's like 2200 bucks really just to sign up yeah wow yeah because it's not it's not cheap to to run this event you know you've got you've got three weeks that you're spending in hotel rooms yeah yeah you're going through probably two rear tires and a front tire on most bikes two services on your bike you know so like the 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 cost adds up so you know i think that that is a big barrier also is that people aren't going to do this in a whim you know you need to be pretty certain that you know if you're spending that much money that you need to be certain that you can finish. I mean, there are people that don't finish the rally. I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the 11,000 miles, 11 days is more of a slogan than anything. There's no minimum miles. Right. There's a minimum number of points, but not miles. Uh, but typically to get those points, you need to do about eight, 9,000 miles. is probably the minimum number of miles you can do <laughs> um, in, in, in 11 days. Now, some people do 14,000, but 
also, usually if you do 14,000 miles, you probably aren't going to be a winner. Yeah. You're doing 14,000 miles because you screwed up somewhere. <laughs> um, basically, you know, it's, it's kind of like the old days of football. You know, if you have 400-yard passing games, you probably didn't win the game, you know. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so it's, it's as far as criteria for any, I, I don't believe there are already. Um, you might need to be an IBA member, um, but I'm not even positive that that's the case. Right. Uh, but I think everybody is just by the nature. So how long between the time, the point you actually put your application in and when they tell you you've made it in, how long of a period of time is that? Six to eight weeks. So six to eight. So that, that must be, that's a stressful eight, you know, six to eight weeks where you're just waiting to find out if you're going. It can be, yes. Uh, I mean, my, my first time I, I was, I don't, I mean, I'm not one to really get stressed over these things, but you know, it was like, come on, I just want to know. I mean, my, my first time, when I actually sent in my first application for the, the 59BR, uh, I wasn't ready to do it when I sent it in. And, but my, my logic was, you know, I probably won't get picked, you know, but at least if I send my name in, you know, they'll, they'll see my name and they'll pay attention to me. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe they'll help me, you know, the next time. Yeah. Um, and it, so literally, I sent that in. You know, I, I saw the start and finish was Albuquerque, New Mexico, 2,000 miles, which... Not that this is the time. I mean, that's that's two days riding if you're doing a thousand miles a day to get there and back. Right. So on top of eleven days, on top of that to be this. So basically, I'm out of the office for three weeks. Wow. So that was my concern was the number of days out of the office, not necessarily the distance. Yeah. But I said, you know what? Let me send it in anyway and see what happens. Yeah. And I waited and I waited and I waited and all of a sudden I got this email that said congratulations and I'm like, oh crap! I, they picked me. <laughs> but you know, I'm like, you know. I threw my name in. I'm going. Well, after after you've signed and, and now, now you've made it in. Now, do they do they send? I guess they send you all kinds of stuff then, don't they? Yes. So that starts a process from that point, which is usually about March uh, until so the week before the rally, which is 15 months after that point. You know, probably every roughly every quarter, you know, we're, we're getting an email with stuff to do. Right. So. We're going to get an email that's got release forms that we need to get signed and notarized. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, I'm trying to remember, you know, one of the requirements of the rally is you need to have, um, um, I forget what they call it, the relocation insurance. Basically, if you have an accident, insurance that will get you back home so you're not stuck in a hospital in Washington and can't afford to get home to PA. Yeah. Because um, obviously a life flight across the country is, you know, multiple tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, sure, yeah. So, so we're, you know, so MedJet is the primary company that does it, at least in the U.S. So we're required to have that for the, like, the duration of the rally. Right. Um, and we've got, you know, and there's other things that, like that they will say, you know, the new rule book is pasted. Please re- review the rule book and make sure that you meet all the requirements. And, you know, you, you might, if you've got an auxiliary fuel tank on your bike, you, know, you don't want to wait until the two days before the start of a rally to have it inspected. You might, so... There might be an opportunity to, if you know, to have somebody look at it. So you'll make arrangements and go meet meet somebody. Usually, down in Jacksonville. Oh, so your so your bike actually has to get inspected by by the rally masters. Well, it's not the, the bike isn't itself inspected. You know, uh, but what basically what they'll do for the bike is, you know, if you run an auxiliary fuel tank, uh, you must have it must be rigidly mounted to the bike. So basically, if you shake the tank, the whole bike moves. The tank doesn't move. Yeah, right. You know. You've got to have a, uh, a vent hose, and it needs to vent 
away from your rear tire and away from your exhaust system. You know, you know and then the, uh, I'm trying to think, I think there was, you know, if you've got an electric fuel pump on it, you need to have it grounded. Um, so I think, you know, those are basically the things they're looking for. Mm-hmm. The other thing they're looking for is, you know, if your bike does not have stock exhaust, they're going to do a sound check to make sure that your bike isn't too loud. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's all about, you know, good stewards. You know, you don't want to annoy people yeah, with your exactly. bike. So they require you to have a, basically a stock exhaust. Yeah. Or within a certain DB level. And, and tell me about this 25-mile odometer check. Okay. So once we get to the rally, you know, we usually get there Thursday, maybe Friday at the latest. Yeah. Um, Saturday is the is when they do all the inspections and all the paperwork and verify that your your registration and your insurance card all match your VIN number and your tag number. Because believe it or not, people show up and they got the registration for the wrong bike or somehow the tag got switched or whatever. <laughs> um, one of the things to do because you know if there's a tie, you know it, 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 the tiebreaker is the least amount of miles. Okay. So. So what we'll do is we do a um, odometer check, which is like I think it's like usually about 25 miles, where we'll do this ride, and when we get back, you know, they'll actually check our odometers, and you know, use that to calculate the, I'll say, adjusted miles for lack of a better term, okay, to make you know, so that you know, my bike is Harleys are usually dead on with the odometer. I think my odometer goes off one tenth every 10 or 15 miles. Some bikes it's horrendous. Um, <laughs> you know, some are off by 10 percent. Wow, so, that's a lot. Uh, so that's just one of many things we do, yeah. you know, before right. the actual start of the rally. All right. So now you've signed up and you're in. Yes. When does the stress of the event actually hit you? It varies by the person. So, you know, A, I've, I've done it several times. So I really don't get stressed out. And I'm a low-key person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's a, uh, there's, there's a form that's exclusive to just those in that year's rally. And there was a post in, I believe, January of... 2019 from a, a friend of mine that basically you know the, the, the subject of the post was is it too early for nightmares you know because you know he's beginning to have nightmares about things not going right and missing checkpoints and this and that and you know he's basically already stressing it it's six months before we've even gotten to the start you know the starting line yeah that's crazy that's us um, that's over the top yes and, and, and others you, know, you can just tell by the tone of the post that you know, they're getting frustrated because, you know, if, if, you know they, they can't find insurance. You know, we need to have a certain level of, of insurance on our motorcycles, you know, uh, $500,000 combined single limit policy, which not a lot of companies offer them. And if you're not a U.S. resident, because there's a fair number of, I'd say 10 to 15 percent are not U.S. citizens, U.S. residents. Really? Um, they had difficulty sometimes getting insurance they don't live in the country um or getting to fly home insurance because you know you know the company won't fly them to germany or australia or the uk or wherever they're from yeah so people have those issues and and basically the rally master you know lisa she's basically for the the duration of the rally she's our mom you know she's the one you call when you've got a problem and she usually you know looks at you or, or responds back saying you know do this silly and it's like Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> you know, because we're all worked up. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And here, you know, she's been there, done that. You know, I don't think anybody can really surprise her, uh, although some people try. Uh, and she just says, okay, you need, you know, something breaks in your bike, we'll, we'll go find a water or have a weld it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Simple things like that. That when you're not in that position, when you're not stressed, 
for common sense. But when you're all wound up and focusing, it, it's real easy to, to just not think of the common sense stuff. Wow. <laughs> now, let's talk about the route a little bit. Uh, now, the route okay. uh, and, and the destinations and whatever stops you have to make, all that's, as you have said already, that's already predetermined. But tell us about the checkpoints and what are they all about and okay. how do they come up with these these destinations? Okay, so, well, actually, the, the route's not predetermined. So, like, oh, it's not. so the first leg, so the first leg, there's 70 possible bonus locations. Most of us only hit five, six, seven, or eight of them. And we can all pick different ones. The second leg, or, you know, or, you know, the second leg or second and third leg, there's a total of 175. So we're all building our own route to get us what we think is the most number of points that we can get and get us to the checkpoint or the finish sure. on time. Okay. So the, the actual checkpoint. So, like I said, for the, the first checkpoint, you know, we had to be in Kennewick, Washington. I believe it was by 8 p.m., two and a half days later. And I guess it was... Um, <laughs> I can't even do the math right now because it's all blur. <laughs> but I believe it was a Thursday night or something. Wednesday night. Yeah, you know, we had to be in Kennewick, Washington by 8 p.m. After 8 p.m., we start losing points, and it's like 10 points a minute. 10 points a minute? Yes. Oh, my God. At 10 p.m., we are disqualified. I mean, you, does that mean you disqualify from the rally completely? Yep, you're out. Oh, my God. That's kind of harsh. Yep, yep. Wow. It is, but that's the way the game's played. So... You know, so most of us will shoot to be there earlier. I mean, obviously, you want to maximize your riding time. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you've got to do things, so that at the checkpoints is typically where people do maintenance on their bikes. When I got to Kennewick, I was I think 15 minutes late. I got in at 8:15 or 8:10, so I, I lost you know 10 or 15 minutes, you know, 100 150 points, which wasn't really that much. I, I take that back. It might have been 30 minutes. Now it was 30 minutes. Oh, boy. I got in. You know, my plan was to do a wheel swap, actually, at the second checkpoint, not at the first one. So I got in, and basically what you do, you, you basically check in and park your bike, you know, take your stuff in, um, you know, do your paperwork. Fill, you know, there's a log sheet we have to fill out that has all the information on the bonuses that we're claiming, you know, the bonus ID code, uh, the odometer reading, you know, the date and time that we were there. Um, there's other bonuses. There's a rest bonus. So if we document that we had a certain amount of rest, we get points. And you can get points up to, I think, eight hours. Um, so you need to do the math. Is it better to be riding or sleeping? Uh, you usually get more points at the rest bonus. But at the same time, it's better to be, you know, in earlier and not lose bonus, you know, lose penalty points. So now the checkpoint, does, does the checkpoint actually act as a, as a, as your, your night over? Yes. Okay. That, it, it does that as well. So each leg has an optional rest bonus. Now, the real reason you would skip it is if you think that you can do, you can get more points than you could at the rest bonus. But the checkpoint itself, you have to be in, the latest you can be in, as I said, is 10 p.m. or you're disqualified. Yeah. You need to submit yourself for, you know, do your finish your paperwork up, submit yourself for scoring, turn in your camera card, you know, because the, the pictures are what verifies you are at each bonus, at least for most of them. They go through, they look at your picture, they verify that it's the right picture. Uh, they, you know, if there's a time limitation, make sure that it's your, your, your date limitation, make sure that you're there on the right date. Uh, the group photo, they'll look at the master photo, say, okay, yeah, there's this person's flag number. We do all that, then we get, okay, great. You know, if you, you sometimes you'll lose points at the table because you recorded something incorrectly or you took the wrong photo. And then, okay, here's your score. Uh, this is what you got points-wise. But you don't know what anybody else got at that point. Right. 
Uh, so you don't really know how well you did. Uh, you might think you did fantastic and you could be dead last. Yeah. Uh, or you, vice versa, you could think you did horribly and you're in the top ten. But I think here the lesson here is you ride your own ride and not really focus on what anybody else is doing. Exactly. We, that's, we're all riding our own ride. We're riding, you know, for the most of us that are trying to... So some people just want to say, I finished and that's it. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. That's, and that's why there's a minimum number of points. You can't just go from checkpoint to checkpoint and say, I'm done. You know, you need to meet a certain minimum number of points, which, you know, I'll say isn't difficult, but every year there's people don't finish it. And there's good friends of mine that did not finish this rally because they took a wrong picture. You know, they busted their butt, but it's a simple mistake, and they did not finish the rally. Now, if they took the wrong picture, do they get disqualified? No, what would happen is you don't get points for that bonus. Oh, okay, I see, okay. But there's a minimum number of points to finish the rally. So oh, okay. if you blow a key picture, you can lose a ton of points. And you didn't get enough points to finish. Oh, I get it. So, but, you know, like you said, basically, you know, we'll, we'll do all that. You know, once we get scored, you know, we, we know where we stand to ourselves. And then the object, then you basically you want to go get sleep um, because there's nothing else to do. And then uh, at 4 a.m., you know, there's a rider's meeting. 4 a.m.? They can't do the rider's meeting? They can't do the rider's meeting at 8 a.m.? That's four hours less of riding we'd have. <laughs> So, Four hours less sleep. So, well, yes, it is. You know, you're, you're managing sleep. So and everything else. Yeah. Your, your time management is, is basically oh, sure. key in the rally. So at the at the 4 a.m. riders meeting, you know they'll give us updates. You know, well, you know that you know if they might do, they'll do um, you know if there's something they need to communicate to us like this bonus. We found out that this, the object is no longer there. Take a picture of this instead, or. There was one um, Mackenzie Pass, I think it was, was still snowed in at that point in time. Now, and this was in June, but there was too much snow. That's crazy. The pass is closed, so it's worth zero points. Now, what if you said, screw it, I'm going anyway, and you rode through the snow, and you got, would you get the points? Yep, you get zero points. Really? Because they changed the value of it to zero. Ah, uh, well, yeah. say, yeah, okay. So, and I have a friend of mine that, that mistakenly did that, and he got zero points, and he was on a happy camper. Oh, my God. Uh, and it was clear and dry when he got there, but weather can change that fast, and that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the middle. Uh, but how do you know that they uh, say, okay, it's now zero points? You, do, you don't know. Well, well, they told us that at the checkpoint. Oh, okay, at the checkpoint they'll tell you. Oh, okay, yeah. I get it. Yeah, okay. so that, that was one of the announcements they gave us. You know, that then the big one they gave us was the fact that, you know, and I mentioned this earlier, coming back to Kennewick for the second checkpoint was, was optional. Oh, okay. So if we met the other criteria, which were picking up a bonus north of 50, uh, of 60 degrees latitude, or, you know, claiming, you know, the one on the Pacific Coast Highway and the one on the Gaspé Peninsula, if we did either of those, you could skip the checkpoint and go and basically spend that time riding. Oh, okay. I get it. And some did. Some did by choice. Some had no choice because, you know, they, they were too late getting in to uh, Kennywood for the, the, the second time. You know, for the so even though it wasn't officially a checkpoint, we had to be in by 8 p.m. Oh. If we were late, we, we, you know, we weren't there. And now the only way to finish is by meeting the other requirements. Okay. Now, now, these checkpoints, how many checkpoints are there during the course of the rally? For this year, there was one official one, which is where we got scored. Yeah. And then... The second optional one wasn't technically a check. I mean, technically, there was only two legs right. because we were always scored at the first time in, in Kennewick. Okay. Um, however, you know, most of us, 80% of the riders, 
90 percent of the ride probably did go back to Kennewick because it was there were 18,000 points, which was a lot. Wow, you know, and the options of not going there were very difficult. I mean, you know, so basically the ride from you know Sunday at you, you had to be at Sunday on the Pacific Coast Highway ride from there to the Gaspé Peninsula, which is like far eastern Quebec, right. and then from there to down to South Carolina is a heck of a ride to do when you've only got four and a half days to do it. Oh, my God. So, um, yeah, you basically, because of that, most people chose to come back to the to, to Washington. Now, with regard to communication, how do they how, how do they keep in touch with you during the course of, do, do they uh, send you emails, text you, do they, how do they keep in touch with you to let you know if there's been a sudden change in every, anything? They don't. They don't. Oh, because so you're on your own. You're, you're on your own. Now, they know where we are, so... And I think, actually, I think you, you did interview somebody from Spot. From the Spot I did, track. yes. So we are required, one of the requirements is to have a satellite-based tracking system on our bike. Oh, there you go. Okay so, okay, yeah, so they can follow you. Most of us have Spot trackers. Some people have uh, Garmin InReach, and I think there's one other system out there. That's called Garmin InReach? Yes. I should look into that. And Yes. Um, and, and basically, so they know where we are at all times. Well, they should know. Uh, and if for some reason our tracking stops working and we're getting points for being tracked. If our tracking stops working, we lose points. Oh, so that's bad. it's our best interest to, um, have make sure that's working. Now is your tracker like uh, battery powered or is that connected to the system? Mine's battery. So it's got four triple A's. It's mounted right on my handlebars. Um, I, I can see it. And if I see the lights start flashing red, I replace the battery. Oh, now okay. I've never had to change. It. I'll, I'll put fresh batteries in it every night for the rally. Yeah. Not, you know, no, actually, I put them in before the start of the rally. And then will they last you, you know. for the whole rally? Uh, yes, I just replaced them now. So. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, so listen, I saw a video of the start of the rally. Yeah. That was like super interesting, the way that was done. Why don't you tell us about that? Okay, so the, the start of the rally. Basically, what happens with the start of the rally is, you know, we're told, you know, that, you know, breakfast is served at 6 a.m. At 8 a.m., our bikes have to be in a certain position. They'll, they'll dictate to us where to park our bikes so there's a smooth flow to get out of the parking lot. Right. So, now, do they tell you that? Do they tell you where you're parking your bike before breakfast or the night before or something? That is one of the things that's told to us. Uh, there's a mandatory riders meeting on oh, okay. Sunday. All right. I think it's, yeah, Sunday, uh, where they give us this information. Okay. Um, you know, there's a, there's a rookie meeting where they tell the rookies, certainly the first year riders, you know, the basics and certain things. And then there's a all riders meeting where, you know, they'll probably, you know, they're, they're going over details that we all need to know. All right. So, but basically, so the start of this rally, so you basically, you've got all these, almost everybody's a type A personality. You know, that's just who gravitates to this. So you've got these a hundred or so type A personalities. You tell them that breakfast is at 6 a.m. Their bike has to be in position at 8 a.m. So if they need fuel, they need to go out and get back by 8 a.m. Right. And park the bike in the right spot. Sure. At eight thirty a.m., I believe it is. There's a couple of teams walking around, you know, recording the starting odometer readings. Nine thirty a.m. There's a riders' meeting where they're going to brief us on how we're getting out of the parking lot. Usually, the usually they have police blocking the intersections. Okay. From the parking lot up to whatever the closest interstate. All these are usually they're picked, so they're right next to an interstate typically. At least they had the last three. So they're 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 telling. You, We've got all these type A personalities that you basically shake them up in a box and then make them wait around till 10 a.m. <laughs> so your adrenaline, adrenaline is through the roof. 
and you sit there and wait. Then all of a sudden, you know, the call came, comes at 10 a.m., start your engine. So everybody's on their bike, start their engines, and basically, you know, the, 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 the guy that has run the start for I don't know how many years, he, you know, his, his biker name is Warchild, and it fits him to a T. He basically, you know, will basically point at a rider, and that alerts them that they're next. And then, you know, you probably saw the video. He waves a wave of the arm, and they're off. So, so there isn't any specific order that a, the riders go in. I mean, it's not like okay, well, you've done the rally before, so you're going to go first. You're going to go second. It's it's just base. It's quite random. It seems like for the most part. So in 2015, what they did was, you know, basically to kind of relieve the stress. You know, they basically had people that would, you know. You could color, you know, you color your hair or cut your hair or do something like that. Whoever, whoever they had the craziest right. design, you know, one, they got to go first. So that was it. In 17, there was a, a three up family. So there was a, basically they had a, a road king with a sidecar, husband and wife rode on the bike and their, wow. I think, 12, 13 year old daughter rode in the sidecar. Mm-hmm. So they were ceremoniously the first people out. Should you make a mistake and not follow a key rule, you will be told that you're dead last. So if you're someone that basically got all caught up in everything going on and realized that they hadn't eat, has a massive sugar crash, they need to get food immediately, and you're not at your bike when your yeah. odometer is being checked, you, know, you were moved to the end of the line. And that's what happened to me in 2017. I mean, does it does it really matter, though? No. No, it doesn't. You're, you're talking about a yeah, it's true. two or three minute delay on 11D. So uh, it really doesn't matter. Um, but it, so what, you know, like we all leave. Oh, sure. But it's one of those things, the, the adrenaline rush is incredible. And, you know, it's, and what's going through mind, you know, the, keep in mind, there's 100 people or more, everybody with a camera. Yeah. You know, they're either taking pictures or taking video. Obviously, you found one of the videos on YouTube, and you probably didn't have to look, yeah. look very hard to find it. Um, so it's out there. So obviously, if you make a critical mistake, like stall your bike, drop your bike, drop your glove, or anything like that, <laughs> it's going to be recorded for all time yeah. on YouTube. So basically, you know, there's a quote from Space Cowboys, you know, you know the, the shepherd's player, you know, Please, Lord, don't let us screw this up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's the best way to describe. So my very first rally in 15, I wasn't thinking about anything other. Yeah. Please don't let me stall my bike. Please don't let me drop my bike. Yeah. And there was somebody that dropped the bike right before the start. And there was somebody that dropped the bike right before the start, actually during the start wow. in 17. This year, nobody did that I'm aware of. Although my bike did shut off. It stalled, literally. There was like, there, there, there was... Five bikes from me is pulling out, and my bike shuts off, and I couldn't restart it. And it was turned out about basically vapor lock, you know. So I had to switch to my regular fuel tank and, and got it started just in time. But um, let's talk about the um, the scoring of the event and and how they the points and how they deal with the bonus points. You had mentioned that some some of the bonuses were like a thousand points. I mean, where do these numbers come from? I mean, really. So basically, the. the the point value is normally based upon how difficult okay, the bonus is to claim. So, if you know there was a bonus not very far from the start on the first leg that I went to, it was worth maybe two hundred points. The, the end of the uh, the end of the first leg, my last bonus, 
I want to say it was like 5,000 points. That was up in Yak, Montana. Again, I mean, had the woods not been there, I would have been, I could have probably seen Canada from there, you know, and, and, and basically, you know, Yellowstone National Park, Old Faithful was high point value because you don't know if you're going to hit it when Old Faithful goes off. You might have a, uh, a 90 minute to two hour wait. Now I had two hour, a two hour wait right? Uh, because I just missed it going off when I got there. So, um, you know, so the, the, the more difficult the bonus is to get, oh, I see. the more points. So, I mean, I, I chose, you know, the second leg, you know, the, the bonus where I had to walk through a four kilometer walk to and back from the bonus to take my picture. So that was 5,000 points. And, you know, that was, I don't remember how many miles it was from Kennewick, Washington. It wasn't terribly far. I mean, when I planned that leg, I, I had picked that bonus one that wasn't too far from it, which was also about 5,000 points. And I'm like, I'm golden. And I never thought, why are these two bonuses that are relatively close only worth 10,000 points until I'm having a conversation with my friend of mine. And he's like, oh, wow, you're going to British Columbia? I tried to stay away from that because of all the ferries. And I'm thinking to myself, ferries? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, um, you know. So basically, you know, the point values, you know, are, are picked. I mean, what the formula is, I don't know. But usually, the higher the point value, the more difficult it is to claim. You know, either because you've got it. Right, so when you get, yeah. So when you get your rally book and they tell you where all the bonus points are, you spend the next how many hours, days, week, whatever it is, figuring out the best route for you to go to hit the points that's basically convenient for you. Well, and not so much for. I don't know. Does point value really play a big part in that, or are you oh, yeah. you looking for? Yeah, so so it's not so much convenience as much as it is point value, right? So, like I said I was going in the first leg from South uh, South Carolina to Kennewick, Washington. My route was basically I think I actually went southwest first. You know, then I went north up into North Carolina, up into Kentucky. Um, I forget what interstate. I don't remember if it was forty or seventy. I took. I think it was forty. I took across the country. Uh, ended up in in Colorado. Uh, from Colorado, I went up to Yellowstone, then up into you know, Yak, Montana, then down into Kennewick, Washington. Um, I was all over the place. Originally, I was going to go to Beartooth, Beartooth Pass. Also, I dropped that due to time. And it was also happened to be closed due to snow. But, um, yeah, wow. yeah, in June. So, uh, so basically, yeah, so I, I, you know, a direct line as well. I, if you just put those two points into Google Maps or MapQuest or whatever, it was like 2,300 miles. I rode, I think, 3,300. So I did an extra 1,000 miles over the direct route to get there. Wow. So did you go as far as you wanted to or hit all the miles you wanted to in this on this rally? No, I didn't come close. No. So, oh, really? Yeah. So I, 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 I mentioned I made uh, so I draw, I, I made one, one bonus I had to skip because it was mud and... I just couldn't take my bike on a two-mile ride through mud, and, and, and hope to yeah. make it to make it back. Um, so I had to drop that. I uh, drop one in uh, I forget what state that was in. It might have been Colorado. And then, like I said, I, my original plan had me going up to up into Montana, picking up Beartooth Pass, ride that into Yellowstone to Old Faithful, and then from Old Faithful, basically ended up going back to the north. I had to drop Beartooth Pass because I just realized that I couldn't do it. Um, Oh, wow. You know, so that actually I did have a problem with my bike this year. I lost my rear brake, so I had to stop in. Uh, oh, I stopped, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, so I stopped at a friend's house that lives in uh, uh, Dubois, uh, Dubois, Dubois, uh, Wyoming, 
Um, and basically, this needs to be bled. So I, I got to spend the night at his house, do some laundry, and got my bike fixed. Um, so that was like one of the was that was that the only setback or difficulty you had that was the, the whole thing with the bike, yeah. And that was as far as it goes about routing and getting points. Yeah. So on the, on the second leg, so the second leg, I, I just I, I don't know what happened. Um, I fell apart. So on the second, you know, so the first leg, we get the rally book at uh, there's a banquet. You know, we get the rally book say at 8 p.m. and we've got until 8 a.m. basically to have a rally and sleep. I think I was up to 1 a.m. planning. On the Ugh. second leg, it's the rider meeting at 4 a.m. You know, they give us the announcements. Any questions? Here's a rally book. You're free to go. But you've done no routing yet. So I spent probably four hours planning a route. Came up with a route. Well, I was doing a wheel swap at a, a friend's house that was just 10 minutes away. On the way over, I realized that my route was stupid because I was basically riding... You know, the, the, the last leg, I was basically, I was doing a, a combination bonus, which was basically stops all along the Rio Grande River from Colorado down into Texas. And my plan was to ride like the first third of it, turn around and come back. Wow. Then retrace my steps and, you know, continue on where I left off. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. Why don't I go somewhere else and pick up these points? So I ended yeah. up replanning my entire route for that leg. I didn't even get on the road till 2 p.m., and which is just a horrible waste of time. I mean, basically, that's sure. you know, 10 hours wasted. And then even with that new plan, I was going south first and then up into British Columbia. And, you know, the whole keystone of that route was these two 5,000-point bonuses in British Columbia. Well, yeah. because I spent so much time, the second one was just unattainable. So I got the oh, one. So I basically lost a ton of points that I could have easily had just because of stupid routing decisions on the second leg. Uh, okay. Um, well, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about the routing a little bit now. What uh, what, what are you using? Uh, for, you know, I obviously you have a GPS. Yeah. You know, what GPS are you using, and what software are you using to plan your route? Okay. So I have two GPS. I have a Garmin six sixty and a six sixty five. Okay. The difference is the six sixty five has XM. So it's radio, okay. weather, and, and traffic. All well, the traffic sucks. Okay. You know, the, the, uh, those are what my GPSs are. Uh, I also typically use a phone for traffic information. So, I'll, I'll, you know, I was playing around with, uh, with MapQuest, but that's, or excuse me, with um, uh, Waze, but that doesn't work that well out in the Midwest when there's not, because yeah. people aren't using it out there. Um, right. So my, my routing program, so that the two big ones that people use is for mapping software is MapQuest, which, uh, excuse me, Basecamp that comes mm -hmm. with uh, Garmin, Garmin and yeah. Microsoft Streets and Trips. So Streets and Trips is now no kidding. six years out of support, um, but I'm still using it. Oh, okay. And a number of us are. Now, here's the thing. I use uh, Basecamp. I, I used it for my trip, and I found that it's, it, well, of course, the maps aren't really totally up to date now, but... Uh, I found that it was like hit and miss if it was going to catch my waypoints or not. Okay. You know, you know. So I, I, I need. I probably need an entire lesson on the proper way to use Basecamp and plan my route. But uh, did did you have any difficulty with that? No. So we we basically learned early on that what happens is you can plan a route in your mapping software. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, streets or trips or Basecamp. Mm -hmm. Um. But when you copy it into your GPS, it's going to recalculate it. So what happened is you know, you, Basecamp came up with a certain route 
Yeah. Well, what you needed to do, because you were, if I remember right, you know, you wanted to get, you had certain gas stations picked. Yeah. So if you had, you know, what you need to do is, you know, sometimes you'll need to actually put what they call shaping points in, you know, create a location somewhere to force it so that you go a certain route. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So if you wanted to be certain that you're taking 301, you, you should have put a, a waypoint on 301 somewhere so that it doesn't take you somewhere else. Right. So you got to put a series of waypoints along the route that you want to take. Yes. And the number depends on how closely you want to stay to it. I mean, so in your case, you wanted to take 301 for a reason because traffic was lighter in certain areas. So, and it tried to wrap you, I think, on 95 instead of 301. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So most of us during a rally, you know, we either don't care or we'll just, okay, I know my GPS is telling me to go there. I'm still taking 301. Exactly. That's what I ended up doing. Yeah. And eventually it'll recalculate and, and go back to where you are. Right. Um, but that's where, you know, you know, you don't just blindly follow that magenta line. You need to have an idea of where you're going. Yeah. So, so like when you're doing your routing, you know you want to take a specific path. And I realize you probably can't remember everything that you've selected. Yeah. So at that point, you are relying on the GPS to steer you in the right direction, which is almost dangerous. Oh, yes. Well, 100%. But at the same time, you know, I, you know most of us, I, I am not one to plan out every single gas stop. So, you know, I know my range of my bike, and I will just find it. You know, I will trust that I can find a gas station right. there. I mean, I've got, I've got 10 and a half gallons of fuel. So, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I basically, uh, I have a range of between 400 to 450 miles, depending on the speed I'm traveling at. You know, uh, 80 miles an hour in an interstate, my fuel mileage is 40 miles a gallon. I've got about a 400-mile range. 60 miles an hour on smaller roads, I've got 450. So, you know, I basically self-impose 350-mile range, uh, which I will decrease if I'm in more remote areas, which I yeah. did that a few times during this rally. Well, so on my trip, what I did was I, I limited myself to a 140 to 150-mile uh, legs. That's what I did. Right. And it, it made the ride so much easier. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can't think, I, I'm going to go out and do 680 miles today because that doesn't work well in the brain. Oh, it, it, it doesn't. And that's why, you know, because I've done enough rallies and other things where I'm going to certain locations, if I'm doing a certificate ride, so my, you know, I, uh, I tried to do a uh, saddle sword 4K in March, basically 4,000 miles in four days. Oh, my God. On my way to Jacksonville, Florida from, from Philly. Right, and I, I ended up grubbing the ride during the second day because nothing was going right. And part of the problem is, you know, when you're doing a certificate ride, you're just sitting there droning on. You know, you're going gas stop to gas stop, and my gas stops are three miles apart. And you just, you know, you just get to the point where your mind is overwhelmed by the distance and the fact that you're not stopping. Where during a rally or some of the other trips I plan, where it's not a certificate ride, I'm stopping every two hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and doing something, I'm taking a picture of something. You know, that was one of the things that made this rally harder than the past two was the fact that the distances between bonuses were a lot greater than what they had been in the past. I mean, ah. like I, said, I had friends of mine that, that didn't that picked up their first bonus in Arizona when they left South Carolina. I mean, I had several days where I picked up one or two bonuses, and that was it. Oh, okay. So that that's just you know, you know the the fuel stops help, you know, but you know, you, you know it's just. You know, still, it's like I'm, I'm, you know, not doing anything other than riding for so long. Yeah. And it does get monotonous, and it does get tiring, but just by doing that. 
So was that the most difficult part of this year's trip? Was that the bonus points were so far apart? The, for the actual riding part, that and the combination of the, the roads that we're on. I mean, I never knew there were national forest roads before, let alone how many there are. I mean, okay. I did hundreds of miles of national forest roads this year, yeah. uh, which are basically, you know, they're maintained, sort of. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were paved, but whenever there's something, you know, just because of the, the being in the middle of nowhere and the harsh winters, they get torn up. Yeah. And, you know, you can't make any headway. You can't do any speed on them. I mean, yeah. I had, on one of them, they had these dips in the road that, that were just enough that if you hit it, you'd go airborne if you're doing 30 miles an hour. No, oh my God. And, and after the second or third one, I realized that I need to slow down because if I hit one of these, and you couldn't see them because of the shadows. Yeah. If I hit one of these dips in a curve, I've got a real problem because I'm going to leave the road probably at a tree. Yeah. So that that made it difficult. Yeah. And then just the fact that, you know, if you didn't pay attention, you could be surprised by, hey, I'm at these coordinates and I'm at a crossroads. Where do I need to go? Oh, crap. I'm 70 miles from my bonus. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, fatigue probably plays a big part in this whole thing, too. It does. I pushed myself much harder this round. I mean, so I, I increased my, my rallying has increased substantially in the last two years. And my, my riding hat. I mean, I pushed myself a lot harder this time than I did the last two. Yeah, wow. Um, and, I mean, I literally, you know, the, the rest, I'm trying to remember my rest bonuses, I think I usually claim most of the eight hours uh, that we that I could. That's the most you can get points for. Sure. Um, now, is rest, I'm going to interrupt you for a second, but when they say rest bonus points, rest points, whatever, is that time you're off the bike? Okay, so the moment you stop and you shut the bike off, they start counting points. Sort of. You get a receipt from a gas station or ATM or store or something. That starts the clock. Oh, okay. Then you get another receipt that says the same town um, that restarts the clock. Oh, I see. So, you know, if you, you know, I mean, I had a friend of So it's not like they're watching the, the spot tracking no. to see where you sitting no. still for a certain amount of time, no. right? Okay. Because there's, there's criteria for rest bonus. The rest bonus has to be, you know, started by a certain time and ended by a certain time. So I it needs to you. start, you know, by noon or, or by, you know, 10 p.m. on Wednesday and, you know, no later than, you know, 10 a.m. on Thursday oh, or something like okay. that. Yeah. Right. On, you know, East Coast time. Okay. So, you know, so, so the, you know, the rest bonus, you know, I, I tried to take the full rest bonus where I could just because... You know, I'm getting points. Um, you know, we'll do anything for points. Oh, sure. um, but other than that, I mean, my, most of my stops, I was probably stopped for, you know, no longer than four or five hours a night. Oh, and I'm probably getting three or four hours of sleep a night. Which, That's horrible. You know, it, it is. But it's, again, it, it's amazing once you're used to it. Yeah. Once you learn what your limits are, you can do it. Yep. Yeah. Um, I just heard another podcast where they basically said that, you know, you know your mind will tell you that you're tired. But you're really, you can still go on if you know what your body limits are. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's very true. Do you have a highway? Do you have highway pegs on your bike? Yes. Yeah, so that, that, I know that's I know that's very comfortable. You know that helps. Yeah, I mean I basically ride down the road, moving my feet back and forth between my highway pegs, my mid pegs, and my passenger pegs. Oh, you use the passenger pegs too, huh? Wow. Oh yeah. I used, I used to do that when I had my Sportster too. Yeah, and it, it, basically what it does, it gets you, you know, basically your, your legs are in a different position. It gets you to stretch the top of your legs out. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, tighten the muscles up and just, you know, get the blood flowing. All right, big question. Super, super big question. How do you manage food and sleep? 
Well, with the sleep we just talked about, but how do you manage food? So I, you know, I, I basically, I'm type 2 diabetic, so I have to kind of watch sort of what I eat. Um, so I can't just, like, grab a bunch of snacks and toss them in my tote tank bag. Most of us carry food with us. Yeah. Um, so my, my snack food was basically, you know, I had, you know, two big boxes of Slim Jim stuffed in my tour pack. And I'd keep two or three of them in my tank bag to munch yeah. one of those. When I got hungry, I basically, you know, that would that might be my breakfast, or like I said, you know, if I need, I'd usually get gas before I ended for the night. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I if I get gas before I get into my hotel room, I'd grab a sandwich or something decent at a, you know there. Most of the gas stations you stop at tend to be truck stops, yeah, and just have actually decent food, yeah. Because um, I know with I did, I had uh, I had uh, like power bars and you know energy bars in my tank bag. And yeah. on the on the trip down, I I did eat them and they helped, but I found that I ate a lot less on the trip than I thought I would. I would eat a nice hearty dinner. Well, I can't count McDonald's as a nice hearty dinner, but I would <laughs> I would eat a substantial meal at the end of the day or the start of the day to kind of carry me through. Oh yeah, I, I probably lost five to ten pounds in a rally. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, um, because just that you just don't eat as much. I mean. When you're moving, you don't have the opportunity, obviously, obviously to eat. Right. But like I said, you know, I'd, I'd usually, I'd probably eat one or two of the Slim Jims or, or, you know, for breakfast or, you know, very rarely was I in the hotel when they still, when they had the breakfast open. But sometimes, you know, I'd be able to get in and grab a couple hard-boiled eggs or uh, a yogurt or something and, 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 you know, get them and a cup of coffee in me before I left. Yeah. Uh, and then I actually drink decaf coffee usually. So, um, but yeah, you know, that would be my breakfast. You know, I'll stop at some point for for gas and probably around lunchtime. And again, I'll grab a sandwich or something that's that's you know fairly decent for me. Um, at then and then, same thing. At the end of the night when I stop for fuel before I get into my hotel, I, I do the same thing. I I buy I stop and buy something and uh, and have my my dinner. But uh, you just can't. Again, you're so focused on the rally, you just. You almost have to force yourself to eat sometimes. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. I noticed that. Uh, yeah. Another big question I have for you, and, and I, I, I have people asking me this. It's like, how do you get the time to do an event like this? Especially if you if you work a full-time job or, or any kind of job. How do you get the time to do that? Well, I'm fortunate in, in many ways. So, first, I've got a wife that supports me. I mean, I, I said way beyond even letting She actually supports me doing this. Oh, that's good. Uh, so that's one. So that that's because you know, it's two things. Because obviously there's work time, then there's family time. So she supports me in doing this. The other thing is I I've been at my job, my employer for sixteen and a half years now. So okay. I have a lot of vacation time. Okay. Uh, but I think honestly, I think it's, it's two things. I think it's the amount of time it takes and the cost is why most of the riders in a rally are are are, are older. Uh, okay. I mean, there's a couple people in the 30s, but very few. Yeah, uh, there might be one, once in a while you'll see somebody younger, but I think that's also kind of a barrier that, that makes everybody's older. So most of them are like like retirement age, I guess. I suppose. Well, maybe not retirement, but they're they're probably forties, fifties. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You know. Yeah, like you said, because you, you've been at your company long enough now, where you've earned enough vacation time where you can do this kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny is it's it's all walks of life, and, and and for the most part, you know, we don't care who does what. Right. Uh, there's many airline pilots that do this. Really? There's truck drivers. Yeah, there, there's truck drivers. You know, you, you know, there, there, there's psychologists and there's authors and there's, you know, 
doctors and lawyers and you, you name it. I mean, almost every profession is represented. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. It is. What is, the, what is the most common or most popular motorcycle you see in the Iron Butt Rally? So, you know, it's like I, I'm going to guess. Can, can, I, can I guess? I'm going to guess. Guess. My guess is going to be the BMW GS, uh, 1200GS. Yes. So it's a GS and GSX. Oh, really? Um, it is the most popular bike. And it's funny. I actually went through and I, I looked at that. And I'd say the next one's a Goldwing and the next one's an FJR. So there were in the 2019, there were 17 GS and GSAs, 16 Goldwings and 14 FGRs. So that's 47 out of 97 bikes. It just does three, does three bikes. And the rest of them are like Harleys and... Not very many sportsters, I bet. Nope, I'm the only, the second sportster that I'm aware of that's finished the rally, and I've done it three times. Wow, that's um, great. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah Brett Donahue finished the rally in 09 and actually came in third place. Oh, wow. That's the highest finish, that's the highest finish for a Harley. Oh, that's great. There were, I believe, 10 Harleys this year, Okay. which there was my sportster, there was a soft tail, the rest were either road glides or ultras. Oh, that's Bless awesome. Nice. Um, wow. yep. What does your family think about this? I know you said your wife gives you a lot of great support, and that's and that's extremely important right there. Oh, yeah. But uh, what, uh, what does your family think about that and, and your friends? What, what did they, they obviously probably think you're nuts. Oh, I think I'm completely crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, there's just no other way. You know, it's just, you know, you're doing what? Why? <laughs> why? Yeah, why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's funny because, I mean, if you, if you – you know, there, there's all kinds of groups on Facebook with riders like like myself that do this, and there's yeah. always a common person. You know, somebody will post up saying, "Why do you do that?" You know, you can't see anything. In fact, I think one of the guys on you know on your podcast, you know, made that comment. And you know, the, the point is, you know, we're not riding around with our eyes closed. You know, yeah. our eyes are open. Yeah. And no, we can't we can't go to a particular location. And see everything there is and see in, lo- in that location. But within 11 days, you know, I, I saw I was in Yellowstone National Park and I saw an old faithful go off. You know, I was uh, in uh, Creed, Colorado, which is a little mining town. You know, I saw the headwaters for the Rio Grande River. Three days later, I'm on the Mexican border in Texas, you know, riding from Presidio, Texas to Big Bend, uh, Texas. And, you know, I mean, I saw all, I was up in the British Columbia and I had to do uh, two ferry rides to get to a bonus location and did, and did a hike to the woods and, and just on and on. And it was like, I sent you a picture of, actually, I think I even sent it to you during the rally of, you know, the Grand Tetons in a little lake. Yes. That picture was taken at 6 a.m. before sunup. Yeah. Or actually, take that back, it was probably about 5.30 a.m. Before before sunrise, yes, it's not it's not just about the experience of t- uh, taking part of the rally itself. It's also the experience of everything you see. Exactly, it's it's everything. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, believe me, I I love to take a nice relaxing trip and smell the roses. I mean, I really do. I like to say, hey, what's down that road? I'm going to go find out. I love doing that. But I've got this competitive streak in me that says, you know what? I want to do this too. Yeah. So I, I, I have a, you know, a, a mix of doing both types of rides. And, and most of us do. I mean, a lot of us do long distance riding. Some of us started doing it because we couldn't afford not to. You know, they basically couldn't afford to spend the room for a hotel room, the money for a hotel room. So just ride through the night, get there. Yeah. You know, ride to my friend's 
So that, I mean, that's a common reason, you know? I mean, I think, you know, Paul Pellin says that, you know, I think I, he's riding to California. He's like, well, I don't have the money for a hotel room, so I'm just going to ride straight through, you know? And he, that's what he does. That's, that's, that's nuts. That, that's nuts. <laughs> well, Paul is a little nuts, but you, you've yeah. interviewed him, so you know he is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's the best, one of the best people in the world, too. So, yeah, he is. He's a great, great guy. Great guy. Yeah. So let me ask you this big question. Are you going to do it again? I don't know, Ted. Are you going to have another podcast? you going to have another episode of your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Some people yeah. will say they wish they wouldn't, but yeah. <laughs> but, so yeah. there's, there's two answers. So leading up to this rally, I started thinking that, you know, I, you know, I had a goal. My goal was to be, you know, in the top 20. I think I can attain the top 20. I don't, anything above that, I don't think I can do. I just, it's just not me. But my goal was, be, and my thought was, if I met that goal, I would be, you know, my decision on participating in the 2021 rally will be based upon a start and location. I mean, so we, we've had we've had Albuquerque, we've had Minneapolis, you know, we just had South Carolina. Yeah. So we are due for a far west coast. Oh, far. you think so? I, I think so. Well, or or a further south uh, start. Like, suppose they said, okay, we're starting at Key West. Uh, well. I don't think Key West would be an option just because it's too hard to get into and out of. Yeah, I guess um, so. Yeah. And you, you, you need a, a conference center. It needs to be in a major city with a major conference center that can ha- has. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a hundred, right. room for 150 people. Orlando. Uh, that's near a major airport uh, because the rally staff has to get from the, the starting location to the checkpoint and back to the, the finish location. Right. So. Um, because of that, you, know, you need a major airport, you need a conference center. So that kind of limits the, the major cities. Um, so I, I, I think we're due for a possible California start in the next rally. Ooh. Um, if, so if, if I had met my goal for this rally and, and basically gotten to what I think is the peak of what I can get, you know, my, my decision on participating for the next rally would be dependent on where it starts and finishes. Right. Okay. Um, All right. Because the other possibility is they might start in one city and then and they used to start in one city and end in another. Um, and if they, if yeah, I wouldn't imagine why they wouldn't do that. And because they change it up every couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my decision will be based upon the start and end location. Okay. But with this rally, I made a huge mistake in the third leg, which cost me ten percent of my points for the entire rally, oh. and I lost. I lost twenty positions because of a, a four hours long stop. Oh. And that four that I made four days before the finish of the rally, so I basically you know I I, I need I, I have something to prove to myself that I can do it. Sure, you know, and and it's, I, I basically say I've got unfinished business. So I get it. I get it, it would be very difficult for me not to to send in my application for the next rally. All right, now here's here's another question for you. Do you also own the soft tail? Have you yes. ever considered just doing the rally on that bike? No. Oh, really? Uh, e- e- even when my Sportster blew up, at that time I had the soft tail too. And the riding the soft on it, I just, just wasn't a thought. And the reason is it's, it's a 96, so it's 10 years older than my Sportster. Right. Um, but it's also about 100 pounds heavier. Yeah. And I rode it in a rally once, and at the end of the rally, I thought I was beat up. because. Really? We often get into locations where, you know, when you're riding the mountains of Kentucky at midnight and it's a cur- twisty, curvy road, you know, you're not doing more than 10 miles an hour because you'll outrun your headlights. Yeah. Um, and if you've ridden your bike at that speed for yeah, any length of time, you're no longer, you know, you're, you're muscling the bike around turns. Exactly. Yes. And that is why. Now, obviously, there's people that do it because there's, there's gold wings and there's, you know, um, you know, ultras and road glides and all that. But for me, 
one of the main reasons I keep riding the Sportster for this is, at least for a Harley, it's a relatively light bike, and I can maneuver that bike around like I want. You know, right. I understand. I'm yeah. part of that motorcycle when I ride it because I've ridden, I've gotten so many miles on it, and yeah. I, I don't even have to think. You know, and a lot of times you might need to park your bike in a certain location and take a picture because sometimes we need to have a bike in the picture. Um, oh, okay. But then you've got the only way to get the bike out is to manhandle it backwards. And yeah. a lot easier to move a, a, sportster. a 600-pound Sportster <laughs> than it is a 900-pound Roguelite or a 1,000-pound Goldwing. Yeah. So that that's why I haven't ridden my, my uh, Softail. Also, my Softail has um, wire rims, so they've got tubes, and yeah. you can't plug a tube. This is true. Did, did you no. see anybody on, uh, on Can-Am Spiders doing the rally? No. There's uh, no three-wheelers. No three-wheelers, uh, really? Oh, no, no kidding. Um, yeah, I mean... If they were medically necessary, I believe, because I think that question's come up. Um, if they were medically necessary, you know, they wouldn't rule somebody out because they couldn't physically ride. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, a, a two-wheel bike. Um, but, you know, it hasn't come up. I mean, obviously, the motorcycle with a sidecar participated in, in 2017. Right. But I'm not aware of any, any trikes. Okay. Uh, one question I did want to ask you, and I, I neglected to. Now, I know you don't have cruise control on your bike, but do you use a throttle lock? I basically use the thumb screw that's on my bike. Oh, you, you have the thumb screw. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, again, you know, I'm a private pilot, and that's how we fly airplanes. You know, we don't keep our hand on the throttle. We have a, th- a, a throttle lock that you put just enough pressure so that you let go of the throttle, and it doesn't move, and I do the same thing on my bike. Yeah. And, you know, I can basically ride. You know, I you know, usually riding two-handed, but, you know, that lets me take one hand off and, shake my arm out or scratch my back or you, know. you can oh, well believe me i know because you can you can relax that hand a little bit so you don't cramp up yeah you know do you use exactly. a uh, do you use a cramp buster on your throttle no oh you know nope, just the throttle lock. oh yeah they they work great i think they're fantastic I, I like oh I, I i've used one before yeah. in, in 2015 i had a fairly serious wreck on the way out to the rally oh. and I, I had a, i had a badly sprained wrist and arm and elbow on my right hand so basically, I was fine as long as I didn't make a fist or move my wrist, and I did not. I could not overcome any resistance in the throttle from the throttle lock. So I had to get a what uh, a cramp buster, whatever it is, to put yeah. on it, so I could basically just rest my hand on the throttle and, and ride. And that's how I got through that route. I tell you what, that's it's it's a, it was a lifesaver for me. I've had the the cramp buster for years, but it was a lifesaver for me on the on this trip. You know, and to yeah. to be able to just rest that hand, even just take it off the bars for a few minutes, you know, just to relax yeah. it. What what a what yep. a great thing to have. But um, so tell me, how can people learn more about you and uh, also about the Iron Butt Rally? Okay, so I have a blog, and I need to actually find my the link to. So I've I've got a blog where I basically write up. I'll do a, a trip report or a rally report for any of my longer rides. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically chrisridingadventures.wordpress.com. Okay. Um, yeah, and I can email that to you so you can put it in your show notes. Sure. Um, and, you know, that's basically, you know, I, I write everything up and, you know, talk, you know, about my rides and stuff. And that's how, the best place to find out about it, me. You know, there's a ride report for this rally that's up there and a, a bunch of other rallies. Yeah, and as far as the actual Iron Butt Rally... You know, basically the Iron Butt Association's website, which is uh, ironbutt.org, I believe. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they've got a lot of information there. And also, if you, if you go to that website, um, there's a link to a forum that you can join. And, you know, you can put, you can, 
participate in the forum and ask questions or, or read posts. And there's always posts about, it's like any other forum, posts about all kinds of stuff. But right. there it's mostly about long distance riding. All right, great. Are you going to be, uh, did you do the Void Rally by any chance? Yes, I did. Yeah, how do you like that? I'm a blast. Um, I, I, the rally master Scott is, is a great rally master. I mean, they, they all are. I mean, it's not a bad one in a bunch. Right. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's always an interesting rally. You know, this year, again, you know, the theme's always different. And, you know, this year, you know, I've always stayed away from going anywhere near a coast, uh, especially near a holiday weekend yeah. or, you know, going into New York or out on the Cape Cod or excuse me, out on the Long Island or, or Cape Cod. This year, I decided to bite the bullet because it made sense. I went out onto Long Island and lost a ton of time. And, and just, it was, you know, you can, you can read about it, that the, the rally board in it. But um, it, it's a great rally, um, great bonus locations. And, uh, and they're all a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I've, I've threatened myself for the past few years to do the void rally, but I just can't bring myself to do it or find the time. So maybe who knows? Maybe one day I will maybe. Well, maybe, maybe I'll drag you kicking and screaming into this one. So <laughs> the next is coming up. <laughs> uh, you know what I want you to do is I want you to drag me not kicking and screaming to the Sportster rally in West Virginia. Uh, so a bit, they, there is a, not that, is it, is the Sportster rally or is it just a Sportster club meeting or something like that? I believe you went to that this year. Uh, yes. So basically there's, a sportster forum at xlforum.net. Yeah. And what happens is usually somebody will post, hey, let's get together and go this place. Oh, I so see. So in 2019, they picked West Virginia. And on my way home from the Arbutt Rally, I stopped in and uh, you know spent a night there. Um, there's usually anywhere between 10 and 20 people that go, sometimes more. Oh, wow. Um, this year, they're actually planning one out in the Midwest. I can't remember where it is. Off the, oh, it's in um, Missouri. Oh, wow. Uh, which, I, just due to the timing, I, 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 I won't be able to make it this year. Wow. But, um, but there might be one on the East Coast. Okay. We'll, we'll have to see. Well, if I get a sports store, I'm definitely going to do something. That'll be I'm a lot of fun with that. Well, you, you can show up and you're not on a sports tour. You know, we won't give you too much of a hard time. <laughs> hey, any yeah. closing words or advice to riders who are thinking about doing the Iron Butt Rally or any kind of rally like that? Uh, well, you know, you know I, I'd say, you know, take a look at my blog, you know, read about my trip reports and see what my experiences are. And if you just do a search for, you know, rallies, um, you'll, you'll probably come across other sites. You know, do a search for the Void Rally. You'll, you'll see a bunch of rally reports there. And, and talk to people. I mean, you know, it's you know, if you're if you get into the long distance community, and it's not that hard. You just start riding your butt off and showing up at you know events. You know, it, it's it's a, an accepting group that will basically will take almost anybody, and will do anything to help people out. Awesome. Um, there's a there's a, a banquet every year, as I mentioned in March. Um, every year, the Friday of Daytona Bike Week, and there's actually a saddle sore that Thursday that people can come down and do and become a member right then and there. And again, you know, there's 300 people. We take over an entire hotel, uh, actually probably two hotels and, uh, you know, just, just hang out for a couple of days. So, um, it's just, uh, that's, that's the best way probably to find out. All right. So basically just get out there and do it, right? Get out there and do it. And if it's for you going and like you said, it's, it's not that hard to track it down. There's multiple Facebook groups. Yeah. Depending on your your social media of choice, there's people out there doing it. Yeah. You know, there's forums. Do a Google search, and you'll 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 you know sure. you'll you'll find something. If you long distance rider, you'll find something. So so you'll so you'll know within the first 300 miles if you like it or not. Yes. 
Well, Chris, I want to thank you very much for joining me here on the Motorcycle Men Podcast. Always a pleasure to speak with you and, of course, text with you back and forth every now and then. But uh, thank you very much for joining me and tell us all about the Iron Butt Rally. Uh, I'm glad to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, to share the knowledge and get more people involved in it because the only way that these sports will, these activities will keep going is we get fresh blood. Excellent. So, uh, it's uh, just the way it, it keeps it going. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Ian, Chris, and ride safe. Thanks, Ted. You too. Thanks for joining me and Iron Butt Rally veteran Chris Comley, where we learned about the Iron Butt Rally. You can learn more about Chris and his rides at uh, chrisridingadventures.wordpress.com. And you can learn more about the Iron Butt Association at www.ironbutt.org. Links will also be in the show notes and on the Motorcycle Men website at motorcyclemen.us. And it's also on the links page. Don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters, YouTubers, bloggers, and vloggers whose links you will find on the links page. All these media outlets, many more out there, do great things to promote and encourage our sport and this passion of ours. So, from Timbuktu, Chris the Joker, Justin Shoes, and me, Ted Wrongway, your host. Thanks for listening to the Motorcycle Men Podcast, where we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Get out there and enjoy your ride, kid.